You are listening to a sermon from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee, the historic church of Robert Murray McShane. For more sermon content, please visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk. Paul has been talking about uh, the difficulties the Corinthian church has been facing, difficulties faced in his, he's faced in his own life, and how he had sent Titus to help the Corinthian church, not sure how he would be received. And in this chapter, he's been saying that Titus has been received really well, that the Corinthians had shown a godly repentance. And then, verse 13, we read this. By all this, we are encouraged. In addition to our own encouragement, we were especially delighted to see how happy Titus was, because his spirit has been refreshed by all of you. I'd boasted to him about you, and you have not embarrassed me. But just as everything we said to you was true, so our boasting about you to Titus has proved to be true as well. And his affection for you is all the greater when he remembers that you are all obedient, receiving him with fear and trembling. I am glad I can have complete confidence in you. Now, let's be honest, sometimes if you're a Christian, you get discouraged by other Christians. Sometimes, if you're not a Christian actually, it's Christians who discourage you from becoming one. But sometimes it's the other way. Sometimes you find church and you find your fellow Christians so encouraging. I like a quote from John Chrysostom from Constantinople, 4th century. It says this, Just as a beautiful coat only looks its best when worn on a body, so the scriptures, even though wonderful when proclaimed in public, are far more stupendous when they are being lived out by the people who hear them. Some of you will have had the experience of going to a church where the teaching is great and the practice is rubbish. And what happens is the scriptures are not adorned. You're put off the scriptures by... The, the effect or lack of effect they seem to have on people. But I think many of us have been in situations where as God's word is taught, it's practiced and that makes it incredibly attractive. I was reading an interview with Douglas Grisham who, as a wee boy, his mum had divorced and as a wee boy came across to England and his mum met up with uh, what he thought a rather eccentric English professor called C.S. Lewis. Uh, and they ended up getting married. Uh, not the wee boy, but uh, his mum got married to C.S. Lewis. Um, before She had four years before she died of cancer. And Grisham was being asked, was being asked an interview uh, a few weeks ago, was being asked about Lewis, and he was asked one question. In what ways did Lewis influence your own Christian understanding and walk? And this was his response. Hugely, by his example mainly, he would always answer my questions, but he never preached to me. He lived Christianity visibly and strongly every second of every day. It was something I observed at close hand, and it had the strongest possible impact on me. It seemed as though he was always praying. He lived out his faith with Christ as Lord over every area of life. I saw the evidence of his communion with Christ. 
That's a challenging statement, I think, for lots of us. He lived out his Christianity visibly and strongly every second of every day. That's when the scriptures are adorned. So we need to encourage one another to do that. And I want to think this morning about that encouragement. The previous verses here have told us that we are to be open with one another, but not in a kind of moaning way. Um, I remember one missionary who told me she hated going to missionary team meetings. Why? Because various missionaries gathered from all over the country, and it was just a moan session. And it was so discouraging for them. You want people to be open and to be honest about their difficulties and their problems, yes. But what you do not want, and none of us really like being with people who all the time never stop complaining. So we've got to think a little bit about how we impact upon the people that we meet with. And Paul lists three things here that I, I, I think we would want to have. Verse 13, refreshment. He says this, we were especially delighted to see how happy Titus was because his spirit has been refreshed by all of you. So Paul sends Titus to go to meet the Corinthians and to be honest, neither of them are really expecting too much. Paul tells them the history of what's happened in the letters and um, you can imagine Titus being quite apprehensive. And he comes back and he says to Paul, actually, this is what's happened. They've repented. They, they love you. They love God's word. And Titus himself was filled with joy because of them. I, I love the way actually here, just the little things, how Paul was happy to see that Titus was happy. He didn't say, well, how come they weren't like that with me? How come they're good with you, but not with me? Or he didn't say, how come they weren't like that all the time? He was just happy that Titus had been made happy or joyful. He was refreshed. Now the word refresh here could also mean um, at rest. Because when you're worried, when you're concerned, when you're anxious, Titus goes to visit the Corinthians and Paul has a concern and Titus has a concern. And you go and you visit and it's just such a sense of relief when you get that really painful visit over with and things actually are a whole lot better than you thought. So when Titus visited, his mind was at rest and his spirit was refreshed. And the other detail in here is this. It's all of them. He was refreshed by all of you. Now, is, is Paul being a little bit overly optimistic? Is he exaggerating? Does he do what I do and what some of you do? Which is this. You go to a place and you don't particularly enjoy it or a meeting or something and you come back and everything's rubbish. Or you go to a place and you come back and everything's wonderful. This is what Paul is doing. I don't think so. To me, it's a little bit like this week I was at, I know that this sounds so weird, so please just stick with this just a minute. Um, I was at the first Free Church Young Leaders Boot Camp. Now, for some of you, that just looks like, what are you talking about? Absolutely horrific. What does that mean? Getting up at six in the morning and going for a run? Yes, actually it did. They actually did that. Um, Laura Ferguson. Where's Laura? She's there. Isn't that true? Yeah. yeah. And did you do it? Did you do it? 
But it was great fun, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Six o'clock. Was it? Did you really get up at six in the morning? Yeah. Six in the morning to go for a run. Come on. It's a revival. If Laura can get up at six in the morning to go for a run, it's really quite encouraging. Um, but <laughs> it was... Sorry, I didn't mean that way. But it was just... I went there, and I wasn't very sure. I went there on the Thursday. David Meredith had been teaching there the first couple of days. And 16 young people who'd been nominated by their churches, seen as potential leaders uh, for the future. And I, I was just tremendously encouraged. Neil McMillan was leading the whole thing. He was tremendously encouraged. And so was David Meredith as well. Because I just looked at those 16 young people and... You know, as they talked, as they shared with one another, as they prayed, as they had a real hunger for God's word. And this was, I mean, this was not light stuff. Never mind the getting up at six in the morning for the run, because that's kind of team bonding and so on, apparently. Um, it works that way. And it did work. But they, were, they had some pretty heavy teaching. David Meredith did uh, the five points of Calvinism over two days. And justification. I did sanctification and uh, evangelism and culture. And it was by no means light. But what I loved about these young people was their hunger for God's word and their desire to go deep. And it was just it was just really refreshing and really encouraging. Now, I think what Paul is doing with the Corinthians is this. He's saying, we're just so encouraged. Just so encouraged by what we've seen. He's not saying you don't have any problems. These 16 young people, they're full of problems. They're sinners. They've, they've all kinds of difficulties. None of their churches are anywhere remotely near perfect. But he's saying, in the situation overall, he was really encouraged. And that's what we need. To Philemon, Paul writes, Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the saints. Isn't that just a tremendous phrase? How would you like to be known? This is what you have done. You have refreshed the hearts of the saints. Not beaten them down, not worn them out, not nagged them to death, not caused them to go from depression into manic depression because it's just so discouraging and so... Dis- you refresh the hearts of the saints by being real, yes, not making things up, but looking to do that. So there's a refreshment that comes from Christian fellowship. I always feel that we've failed here on a Sunday morning or on a Sunday evening if you go out more tired than when you came in, it would be just really good if you actually came in, sometimes you came in and you're really tired, and so tired sometimes you think, oh, I can't be bothered coming to church, and maybe worn down in yourself, and then you hear God's word, and it's like um, getting a shower. I, I would describe that for me, really good prayer meeting is like that. You, you go to pray, you're kind of feeling tired, feeling jaded, feeling worn out, and then you pray and you think... No, this is, this is good. It's like your fellowship group on a Wednesday or Thursday. At the end of it, it's a good fellowship group if you think, this is a good thing. I like being with these people. They encourage me. It was refreshing. Secondly, there was reliability. Verses 14 and verse 16. I boasted to him about you. You've not embarrassed me. Verse 16, I'm glad I can have complete confidence in you. Is it wrong to boast? No, it's not wrong to boast. It's not wrong to boast about God, and it's actually not wrong to boast about other people. 
he had tremendous confidence. Look, go back to verse 4 of chapter 7. I have great confidence in you. I take great pride in you. I am greatly encouraged. In all our troubles, my joy knows no bounds. I boasted, said Paul, and I wasn't embarrassed. I boasted about you to Titus. And I think in Paul there was a doubt. I hope they don't embarrass me. And Titus visited and they came back and Paul is full of relief. Do you ever get embarrassed by your family? Um, This is apparently something that teenagers get particularly. Uh, I have no idea why when Emma Jane went off to Belgium on the school trip that she didn't want me to go to the bus at the Morgan Academy and wave goodbye and give her a kiss and show her genuine affection. I have no idea, but apparently that's embarrassing. Um, There are things that are much more serious that your parents can do that are embarrassing. There are things that your children can do that are embarrassing as well. Things that your spouse can do. It's very easy sometimes to be embarrassed by your family. And isn't that true of the Christian family as well? That sometimes it's just that cringe factor makes you go, oh no, oh dear. Paul, on the other hand, was delighted here. Because he spoke the truth of the gospel to them. And just as that was true, so his boasting to Titus about them turned out to be true. The gospel was confirmed in the lives of believers. And of course, the absolute opposite as well. Sometimes when our lives don't live up to our profession, we are denying the gospel. And I love the idea here that he has this word about you know, embarrassment and confidence. The whole concept of confidence, what does it mean? If you're talking about people you have confidence in, it means this. It means people you can trust, people you can find in. Some of you here, I know have had this experience, it's an awful one. You go into a church, you go into a church prayer meeting, it's maybe a small group, they ask you to share something that's deeply personal to you, you do, people pray, which is wonderful, and you go away, and then a couple of weeks later you discover that everyone in the church knows about it. What has been an item for prayer becomes an item for gossip. And that's awful. And people say, well we need to pray about so and so, because did you hear what they have got, or what they are doing? Confidence is hugely important. Being able to confide in someone. I think it's very important that as our fellowships groups grow and develop, that someone is able to say, you know, I don't get this passage. I don't understand this. I'm really struggling with this. I'm having doubt about that. Without everything they say being plastered everywhere, whether on Facebook or just by the more just regular gossip that occurs. You've got to have confidence you, you, that you can confide in people. How many times do we go into a place and we sit, we zip our mouths because we don't want to say what we really think because we don't have enough confidence in the people to whom we are saying it. But Paul says, I rely on you. I can trust you. I think when trust goes in a church or when trust goes in a family, there is real trouble and real problems. There's no question at all but in the church, we need reliable leaders. 2 Timothy 2, 2. The things you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable men who will also be qualified to teach others. Being reliable 
may not be the most dynamic uh, of qualities that people look for, but it's one of the most essential. I think there's a great lesson in here in dealing with people in terms of reliability. And I come back, I seem to quote him every week, but Calvin again. Here truly, says he, commenting on this, we have a signal evidence of a rightly constituted and candid mind. And listen to this. This is what that means. Reproving to their face those that you love and yet hoping well and giving others good hopes respecting them. Reproving to their face those you love and yet hoping well and giving others good hopes respecting them. Because here's the opposite. It's going up to someone and being really nice to them to their face and then to others writing them off or in your own head writing them off. And Calvin gets it absolutely when he says that it's better to be able to say to someone to their face that you love them, that what they have done is wrong, that the way they are living is wrong, that what they said was wrong, but you love them. And when you go away, you praise them to other people. In other words, your directness to their face is not just the beginning of a hatchet job behind their back. Somebody... uh, complained to me once about being gracious and said that uh, you know these people they they must be right because they're so gracious and my argument to that is it's just very very straightforward if someone stabs you in the back whether they do with a smile or a scowl is irrelevant they've still done it and what Paul says here is people these people are reliable they 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 are trustworthy. They will tell you to your face and they will back you up when they're away from you. Then verse 15. There's the refreshment, there's the reliability, and then there's the receiving. Uh, His affection for you is all the greater when he remembers that you were all obedient, receiving him with fear and trembling. It says his affection was towards them. Literally, his bowels were towards them. Why? Because they were obedient. Obedient to what? They obeyed the command to receive Titus and to be hospitable. They refreshed his spirit. The body's refreshed. The mind is refreshed. There is a careful and a sensitive hospitality. That incidentally is why hospitality is a requirement for an elder. Think about it this way. When we become Christians, we join the family of God. And we're meant to look after our family. Matthew 19, Jesus says, everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. Well, how do you do that? You're a Christian. You become a Christian. It causes a, a problem within your family. Maybe your parents might reject you. Maybe your siblings might reject you. Maybe your children might think you've gone mad. Maybe there are things that you have to give up to follow Jesus Christ and Jesus says, yes, but you get a hundred times more. And what is that hundred times more in terms of family? It is your Christian family. But that only works. You don't have Christian family by coming together on Sunday. You have Christian family by, yes, by coming together on Sunday and by hospitality and care and love shown to one another. 
But notice how this is done as well. It's done with fear and trembling. Paul says he came to the Corinthians. I came to you in weakness and fear and with much trembling. He didn't come in very brashly. Philippians 2. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, now not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work at your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. Swagger is no part of the Christian life. The person who walks into the church here maybe is almost like a complete stranger and thinks of the king or the queen and almost like waving at people and you people are so lucky to have me here. Or the person who comes to teach God's word and there's just an arrogance within. That's, it's something that's wrong. There's got to be an element of fear and trembling in the sense of humility, a right fear of God, a desire to serve an awareness of our own weakness. And I think here, it really conveys this idea of respect. Paul was not like, um, or Titus rather, was not going like Jonah to Nineveh, where he didn't want to go and God made him go, and he went, and his message is, you're doomed, you're all going to be destroyed. There was hardly a great deal of compassion in what he was saying, so much so that when... um, the Ninevites listen and repent. Jonah gets upset that they've actually listened to the message and they've repented. He came in a very arrogant attitude. But Titus went on Paul's behalf with respect for the Corinthians even though the Corinthians had got so many things wrong. It's a bit like um, a woman I've told you about before, the story of Megan Boyd, the blind lady from Brora, the great fly tire. Uh, she lived in this, to put it mildly, very ordinary cottage outside Brora with, uh, uh, at one point anyway, no um, electricity or running water. And Prince Charles, she's the best fly tire in the world she was, and Prince Charles would come to visit. And I just love the attitude that she had to him, you know, that he would, he would just come in and he would just sit down on the rickety wooden chair, the same as everybody else. But she treated him with respect. But if you were the beggar coming to the door, she treated you exactly the same way. She treated people with respect. And I think that whole idea is how we are to do hospitality. We treat people with respect. Not, you are very, very lucky to be in our house. But it's an honor to have you here. There's a, uh, I heard an Irish poet, so I'm going to quote Gaelic. So those of you who speak Scottish Gaelic, if I pronounce it wrong or get the meaning wrong, it was the Irish, okay? This is Irish Gaelic. Uh, the word for welcome, falcha. We translate it welcome. You'll, you'll see it. Was it shumil falcha, 100,000 welcomes. It, it, it's a, not a great translation. Because at least in the Irish Gaelic, it means more than that. It means... we. We're delighted to welcome you. It's, there's, a, there's a joy in having you uh, come. Uh, our uh, Muslim neighbors, their culture is that if we invite them into their, our home, that's fine. But for us to go to their home is a greater honor. And there's a sense in which we as Christians, when we do hospitality, it would stop us moaning about it and saying, oh, here's another bunch. Um, it would stop us if we started thinking, well, wait a minute, this is, we are welcoming people who are kings and queens. It's a privilege to have them 
in our home. And that's why Proverbs says, surely, better a meal of vegetables with love than a fattened calf with hatred. Much rather have baked beans on toast served with love than the fanciest meal served with resentment. I think again in this, Calvin points out something which is just wonderful. Um, He's talking about the relationship of the congregation with its leaders, Paul and Titus. Now, I've heard of this. I've never seen it experienced, and I'm not suggesting it. Um, But there is apparently such a thing. Today is Father's Day. I forgot about that. So, apologies. And I suspect that most people probably forgot. Maybe maybe you didn't. Maybe those of you who heard that Father's, you're just sitting there gloating in the presence that you got. uh, um, But it's Father's Day. But apparently, there's all kinds of days that you get cards for. You can get cards for this day. There is a minister's appreciation day. Now, I think we should go for this. Uh, And you can even get cards for it, and so on. Well, Calvin puts it beautifully. This passage teaches what is a right reception for the ministers of Christ. Assuredly, it is not sumptuous banquest. It is not splendid apparel. It is not courteous and honorable salutations. It is not the plaudits of the multitude that gratify the upright and faithful pastor. He experiences, on the other hand, an overflow of delight when the doctrine of salvation is received with reverence from his mouth, when he retains the authority that belongs to him for the edification of the church, when the people give themselves up to his direction to be regulated by his ministry under Christ's banners. It's a joy to serve God's people, teach God's word to people who receive God's word. So let me sum all this up. I think here, in the midst of probably the most dysfunctional church in the New Testament, is a picture, a very positive picture of the church of Christ. An encouraging picture with all its problems. Now if you're here and you're not a Christian, I ask you simply, do you want to belong to the family of God? And if you do... You come to Christ because it's Jesus ultimately who refreshes. It's Jesus who is reliable and it's Jesus who receives. But how we get that and how we as those of us who are believers grow in that is simply this, through the Holy Spirit. The Greek word for encouragement, which I'm really hesitant to pronounce because at least three of you will know that it's wrong. Um, But the word that's for encouragement, and I can't even say it, parakeklemitha, comes from a word, parakletos, which is the word, the comforter. And that's the word that was given for the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the parakletos. He is the comforter. He is the great encourager. He's the one who convicts of sin, but he's the one who comforts. We groan, he aids us in our groaning. He gives us his gifts. He gives us the fruit of the Spirit. He refreshes, he's reliable, we can have complete confidence in the Spirit and in His inspired Word. He receives. He resides in us. We receive Him. That translates into our life. And let me just put it this way. If you are not an encouraging and comforting person, if you are not hospitable, if you are not refreshing, then you're not spiritual. Spirituality is not having a particular frame of mind or... or you know, being able to chant or to pray a lot or whatever. A sign of true spirituality, being filled with the Holy Spirit, is that you are an encourager. So I go back to last week, 
where early in this chapter we, we learn about the godly sorrow that leads to repentance. We need that. Acts 3.19. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. You're tired, weary, jaded. Repent that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Revelation 2. Jesus says, I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. Remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. Godly sorrow leads to deep joy, says Paul. Weeping endures for a night, says the psalmist. Joy comes in the morning. Paul was glad. Titus was glad. The Corinthians was glad. Everyone was happy. Now, you can't keep everyone happy. You shouldn't try to. But when people repent and turn to the Lord, there's a joy and a happiness that comes in. I love the word that he uses for confidence. He says, I have great confidence in you. I have a great confidence that God is at work amongst us, that we are living in exciting times and that we're going on to greater things. I go back to that Free Church Leaders uh, boot camp. It wasn't just the young people who were encouraged. It was us older ones. And I find myself feeling really strange saying that, Um, but in, in the sense of being an older one. But it's just very encouraging what God is doing in the free church just now and in other churches as well there are many things that are really discouraging in our culture and in our society and in in the church to be honest but there are many things that are encouraging and stimulating Matthew Henry says it's a great comfort and great joy to a faithful minister to have to do with the people whom he can confide in and whom he has reason to hope will comply with everything he proposes to them that is for the glory of God the credit of the gospel and their advantage. Paul, as we'll see uh, in chapter 8, is sending Titus back to the Corinthians. Such was the encouragement. And that's what we really need to be. We need to be people who are constantly being sent places to bring encouragement to people. There was a man called Joseph who was from Cyprus, he was a priest. You maybe don't know him by that name. Acts 4.30. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, came. And the brackets after Barnabas means son of encouragement. Imagine that. You come into the church, you become a member in the church, and the leaders say, you know, we want to change your name because you're such an encouraging person. We're now going to call you the son of encouragement. I think that's just a, a wonderful thing. Some of us in Sunday school used to sing this song, Dare to be a Daniel. Well, those of you who are songwriters, try to get Dare to be a Barnabas somewhere in there and see how you can work it out. Because that's what we need to be. We do need to be Daniels, strong and courageous. But we need to be Barnabases as well. People who, they just encourage. So let's, as our American friends say, visit with one another. Let's show hospitality. Let's have complete confidence in one another as we have complete confidence in the Lord and let's love and serve him. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you for listening to this sermon from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee. If you found this sermon has been helpful to you, 
please help us to continue building up and assisting the people of God. Visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk For information and training on persuasive evangelism and how to share your faith biblically, please visit the website of SOLAS, the Centre for Public Christianity, at solas-cpc.org. Once again, that website address is solas-cpc.org. Thanks for listening.